before even talking about steroids, I will talk about using period. Whatever it is. Okay. And my cup here and I'm waving in front of the camera, you can't see. My my cup is running thin, so to get a proper response, you have to apply a stress and then allow the body to respond to that stress. And they all look at me, you know, kind of with this just puzzled look, kind of like uh, when you show a magic trick to a dog. They just kind of pop their head and their ear goes up. The reality is, I'm being really special, specific about my wording. I don't believe in damage like, oh, you go out and drive your car really fast and something fucking breaks, and now the car won't run. That's damage. And, and if I could take Andre's you know, analogy and even make it more complicated if that's necessary, is you, know, you don't go directly from summer to winter. Of course you don't, and you get an ever-decreasing amount of sunlight and ever-decreasing amount of temperature and all that. Oh, yeah. That's what the weather's doing. But what you yeah. need to intellectualize then is that that influences how fast the grass is growing, how fast the animals uh, eat the grass. Yeah. And that's a damn fine-looking t-shirt again. Yeah. In the 1970s, all bodybuilders used drugs, just like they do today. But no average fitness people use drugs. Now you've got every CrossFit idiot and people you know doing backyard marathons and shit, and they're they're, they're using drugs. So as so I'm trying to do a part two um, with uh, Broderick. We what we did basically on the first part was about you know the stress reflex, uh, the series of events, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we went through uh, the negative effects. Are at. I love what Broderick always saying that. Um, it's, yeah. not, it's not always a negative effect. We always mm -hmm. get a bad uh, uh, way. I loved also yeah. the, the part about hypertrophy, which oh, yeah. um, it's a bit uh, misunderstood. As a, it depends on yeah. what context you put it in. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the, the idea that hypertrophy itself is a stress reflex is a little, yeah. uh, little difficult for people to wrap their heads around. Uh, because they immediately connotate stress as negative, so how can this negative thing be giving me this great muscle growth? Yeah. So, Roderick, thank you for being here again um, for the part two. I wouldn't miss it. I enjoy talking to you guys. Yeah. Okay. And that's a fine looking t shirt you have. Yeah. <laughs> I got the same. I got the same. Big <laughs> shifts. Did you guys, uh, sorry, Brody, sorry to interrupt, Brody, did you get your uh, coffee bottle? I have not yet received any coffee, and my cup, right here, in, I'm waving in front of the camera, you can't see, but my cup is running thin, so. I've got uh, a Christmas. <laughs> I have to, uh, on, on Monday, I must, uh, I must track it down, maybe it's just taking, maybe it's stuck in the post office or, or something, uh, I'll track it in next week. We are far apart, but I, yeah. I would certainly enjoy it. Oh yeah, that's true. Um, Andrea? Yeah, brother. Okay. Shoot. Can you tell me, can you just uh, like a segue about you, who you are, what you do? Uh, well, kind of shorty, basically I've been, re I've been in the game for 20 years. I've been researching for 
the last 16, 17 years, and uh, my passion and hobby lies in uh, in the biochemistry, the biology of weight control. Uh, you know, and uh, that's it. I just I'm just passionate what I do, and just try and. Uh, bridge the fine gap between science and experience and putting the two together, you know, and just formalizing the truth and getting uh, getting the truth out there where there's a lot of nonsense dogma and basically that's what I do. And coach a selective amount of clients, uh, that's about it. Can you tell me uh, like um, about Broderick? What's um, <laughs> Well, for me, Broderick is, a, is, is definitely one of my all-time mentors. I've been following him for many, many years that he doesn't know. I've actually been secretly following him. Stalking. Um, he's stalking him, I should say. <laughs> I, would, I would regard him, in, in my sense, along with Scott Abel and La McDonald, probably one of the most important guys I would do in nutrition, fitness, whole scenario industry, if you want to put it that way. Amen. I've learned Amen. a lot from him myself. Um, and I, I keep learning from him every time. You know, he's. Uh, I think he's not only one of his uh, who mentors, but I think a lot of people mentor into him. And uh, yeah, he's just uh, he's an asset to the industry, and he's uh, he, for me, he's one of the top of the tops. Well, there's, Broderick, there's nothing else to say. <laughs> I certainly appreciate that sort of uh, sort of sentiment. Although I have to say it. I don't know if one of the most intelligent is the right wording. I'm, I'm pretty smart, and I even you know bill myself as the evil genius. But um, on a on a point to point basis, I don't know if I can contend with guys like Lyle. Um, I got a pretty good handle on stuff, but I don't know. Put me on the uh, intellect you know tier right alongside Lyle. Maybe is a little little daunting to me, but for the moment, I'll take it. Let, let, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> I'll reserve my comments there because Lyle's uh, another genius within himself. I think Lyle is just uh, he's he's just a superior human being in his own sense. Smart dude, no doubt about it. Indeed, I think his book, his new book, just came out. Um, a sort of post he made, and also I think next month we're gonna have Lyle also on Brosy Science. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah, he's uh, he's amazing. Oh. Yeah. Um, awesome. That is awesome. You just bring a segue to the part two. Um, oh, yeah. I see the guy. Oh yeah, hey, here I am. Hey, hey, hey. Looking good. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to stay lean and uh, lean and healthy. That's what it's all about. Oh yeah, in the best way. Um, so regarding all the um, the stress reflexes we talked about. We can have yeah. stress reflex in every aspect, as amazingly you said about the sun, uh, the other time, mm. and what we literally I don't uh, understand many times is how can we have the stress reflex either from nutrition or from basically um, training in our favor without screwing our physiology up. It's not a matter of it's. It really comes down to your wording and your cognizance of what that wording means. In that, it screwing up is a really bad phrase. To get a proper response, you have to apply the stress and then allow the body 
to respond to that stress. That's the whole concept of stress reflex. The body must reflexively do something against what's happened. So if the stress is you go out in the sun, the reflex is going to be this series of events to ultimately protect you against that sun. If the stimulus is lifting weights and generating fatigue and muscular damage, the body's going to instigate a reflex mm -hmm. against that. So it's not a matter of, you know, how can I do something and get a free ride, or how can I do something and get, you know, you know messed up, or you know, whatever language you want to use. It's just a simple matter of, this is the series of events that are mm. consequential to that action. And then you either use that to your advantage or detriment, and that's mm -hmm. about we had a conversation yeah. a couple of days ago regarding the, the the reflex and how we can use. Let's say, because I'm 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 just getting a bit annoyed over the calories in, calories out nonsense. Um, yeah, that's big big nonsense. Um, so basically, we can see people going to a deficit from like, let's say five five hundred one thousand calories down, right? And they're at the beginning like, oh, I'm, you know what? I'm losing weight. Everything's fine, but. This, that stress reflex, I'm not going to say about uh, um, a word that Broderick doesn't like, but uh, Andrea, you like that about how we can uh, destroy or damage our metabolism. Well, I, I, mean, I mean, I've seen it with physique women competitors many, many times. So. I mean, I've seen it in, in my own experience. Uh, just because the data doesn't confirm it's damage, this doesn't mean it's not, uh, you know, I've seen women till this day in advised methods that are still battling to recover hormonally, metabolically, and biochemically, and that's living proof. So I want to see where the lab tells me that there is no, you know, giving me the proof where I've seen it in real life, you know what I mean? I, I'm, not sure, why. But it's, I'm not sure it's where Rocco wanted to go with this particular point in the, in the conversation, but I'll... I'll since we're talking about you know, the biology of and the concept of the stress yeah. reflex, um, I, I, you know, may, maybe maybe famously said that I don't believe in you know metabolic damage. The reality is, I'm being really special specific about my wording. I don't believe yeah. it's damage like oh, you go out and drive your car really fast and something fucking breaks <laughs> and now the car won't run. That's damage. Yeah, That's, sure. I fucked this shit, it needs a repair shop. That's a different thing. What I believe uh, Andre is referring to, and I, and I really am only taking issue with the language, not the mm -hmm. culture or the reality of the problem dealing with these people. But what has happened here, in, in my purview, is the adaptation series of events, i.e. the stress reflex, these women, specifically we're using women in this conversation, have mm -hmm. trained themselves mm -hmm. to operate on such exceedingly low calorie load and at such exceedingly high volumes of exercise okay. that they put themselves on such an incredibly high tier that it it reflects as damage because anytime they try to get down from that really high pedestal, i.e. reducing their exercise or reduce or raising their calorie load, the they're on such a precipice that the fall is really large. And it, it, it's problematic to step them down because of how high they are. So it's not, in my mind, a damage. It's actually 
a testament to how really adaptable and dynamic the human organism is. Yeah. The only problem is it's still really hard to deal with. You still have to work really hard and clever to figure out adaptive steps to break them down from that. But you can train yourself. As a matter of fact, I said something to a, a, a client a, a couple of days ago, and I thought of you immediately. We were talking about in and I said, to me, it's surprising that most of the populace is awake. What's surprising to me is that they're not so awake. I have the sheer fact or survive on such awful attrition. Again, in that same light, it's such a wonderful testament to how adaptive and dynamic and survivable we are. Not only like the fitness to live on five calories at five hours, but on the second point, live on a thousand calories and no activity. What would be the, the particular steps that you would, as you said before, the adaptation steps that take place as, if we can take it as a stress, when we go into a deficit, but if, to put it in the correct context, from five calories to a thousand calories. Like anything, um, the, the, the answer is one, have a goal, you know, know where you're going. So this is, you're presently at this, this poor fitness chick's at 500 calories. So the idea is over the next 12 months, we're going to triple that. We're going to go to 1,500 calories. And then quite literally, just systematically, just like you would periodize your programming to get a 300-pound bench press or a 500-pound squat, you don't just put 500 pounds on it and just fucking it happens and you get fucking squashed. The same thing third diet So just like your workout, you would add 10 pounds every workout. Until you accumulate total pounds, just to take their diet. You would cut calories. Station, and then a two month application, then a three station. Just times. And I've had this conversation so many times. Think about this. Let's say it takes roughly 20 hours to do it. Now, how does that best allocate the 20 hours? Go outside in the sun for 20 fucking straight hours? Yeah. Or go out this two hours at a time for ten days. Yeah. Which one's going to generate a reasonable response? Of course, uh, small amounts of sun every day. However, in that same breath, you can make those amounts so small that they don't do anything. Imagine if you only went out in the sun ten times a day for months, you probably wouldn't get anything. Yeah. So it's a matter of the stimulus must be big enough to stimulate but not so big as to kill. And everything in the middle is I mean, that's... So, uh, Andrea, I know we're going to have yeah. it for not a big, a long 
uh, period of time. Um, no, that's, that's fine. I mean, I totally, um, uh, if you understand the deep underlying mechanisms, I think what Broderick's trying to, he's, he's giving the best analogy to make people understand more thoroughly because if you go deep in the mechanisms of the biology of all this, it can get quite deep and complicated. And I think if you if you if you listen to one of his podcasts with Ron Dubois, uh, I think from Australia, he goes quite deep when he talks about the whole stress adapt release response and the whole Krebs cycle, and he goes into other deep 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 You'll uh, you'll understand uh, you'll understand these things more thoroughly. But I think if we go into it now, it's just uh, it just can get a bit more complicated. You know what I mean? But I think the way he explains it now is is, is very it's fundamental for people to understand because they're missing a big piece of the puzzle. And this is a big piece where a lot of people don't fit it into their teachings. Because at the end of the day, biology is where it all starts. And, and my perfect example, I give this scenario with everything. Summer doesn't go straight into winter. There's a process and there's responses that happen and there's changes and there's climate changes and there's everything. There's soil changes and the same what happens with our, with our within our own body, biochemically, hormonally, metabolically, you know, and like I say, calories don't measure metabolism, and that's where I think people go wrong, is they try and quantify every single detail of Fitbits, macros, calories, and the, the metabolism is very dynamic. You need to understand that, uh, take two apples, one in winter, one grown, uh, obviously not in winter, but one grown in a different country, in a different climate, different sun, different soil. Uh, different temperature, the, the the calorie contact is completely different, even if it's a hundred gram of apple to another hundred gram of apple. Then we Absolutely. realize the utilization, the digestion, the assimilation of everybody's digestive tracts. You know, they, those are the things that people don't talk about. They think, oh, it's just calories in, calories out, you know what I'm saying? Where this whole macros loses the whole, you know, illusion, it becomes the illusion of control. And, and if I could take Andre's, you know, analogy and even make it more complicated if that's necessary is you know you don't go directly from summer to winter of course you don't and you get an ever decreasing amount of sunlight and an ever decreasing amount of temperature and all that oh, yeah. that's what the weather's doing but what you yeah. need to intellectualize then is then that influences how fast the grass is growing how fast the oh. animals eat the grass Good. how sleep the animal is getting and every single thing, you have this big top down, okay, the weather's doing this. But then the weather has an influence on the food supply. Oh, yeah. Big influence on the animals. And then the animals behave different. The animals mate different. And the animals do this different. Oh, and yes. you know it, this simple little change in five-degree increments in the temperature results in an entirely different behavioral and response pattern in the animal that you're choosing to talk about. Now, don't, now also remember, there's 50 million other downstream, everything from the blade of grass to the earthworm to your neighbor are all influenced independently by that same change in macro environment. So I'm just, you know, if you want to say, oh, I debited 50 calories for my diet. Well, how many downstream boxes do you need to check? Like, like the change in the weather, it's one big change at the top. But how many little changes underneath? Oh, that affects your thermogenesis, and that affects your activity, and that affects your time of day, sleep hours, your serotonin, and all the stuff, and by the time you get to the bottom, you, you can't even begin to quantify any of that. Correct. So, I wish people could just listen to that. That needs recording and needs to be played. 
of every single YouTube nutritional video right through the wall because that is what Roderick just said is probably one of the most important things every nutritionist, dietitian, scientist in nutrition whatever needs to actually listen and take that as a, as a holy grail because that's fundamentally important. It's fundamentally important, but uh, I, I will start with something simplistic, if I may. When always, you know, I, I first remember when uh, Broderick said uh, you cannot cheat biology. Right, uh, I think we're getting stupider and stupider. And I know I'm, uh, I sound a bit angry now, but I read an article a couple of days ago saying, uh, guys, just drop it. Just count your macros mm -hmm. and get what you want. And then, you know what? I love John Bernardi's blog and... You, you know, the, the video you showed me that was saying that, yes, we're in a lab and we can count, yes, what a calorie is, changing, you know, mm -hmm. the, the temperature of one um, mm -hmm. um, from 18 to 19, let's say, degrees of the water, whatever. And then they take the, the protein, they put it in a lab, and they're like, yeah, this is four, ca four calories of energy. Mm -hmm. And they take the fat and say, yes, it's nine. Take the carbs, and yes, it's four. But at the end of the day, it's not. And everything goes down to exactly what we said before. So, by hearing the word yes, you know, uh, it's all about calories in, calories out, uh, supplements. Oh, I want to go through that all the time because yes, take this, you're going to increase your test. Uh, oh, you didn't get your HMB or leucine because that's a big thing now, okay, about the thresholds. Um, mm -hmm. And the basis is, you know, the only thing that can change stuff is just steroids. Right? Everybody's avoiding to say that. Uh, or Jacob Wilson. Yes. <laughs> and, which is, if, from what I've read, it's a total different environment because with the things you were saying before, we were talking about Earth, <laughs> so mm -hmm. the weather, we're in different, you know, hemisphere or whatever, but when you take steroids, another world. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in a nutshell, can you explain me why? And then we're going to go through if the steps of the adaptation we talked before. Okay? And then Absolutely. Mm -hmm. First of all, we, we got to go back to the earlier statement that's, and point out that it still holds true. And that is, you cannot cheat biology. What you can do is change the values relative values of things. For instance, you can't change basic economy. You can't make you can't spend more money than you make. You can't bounce checks. You can't do that sort of thing. However, the difference between my personal economy and Bill Gates economy are radically different. He can he can write checks for millions of dollars with no concern. There is a number somewhere that he can't spend more than. Now it's a staggering number. Okay, that's basically the steroid argument. Is it doesn't change the rules of economy. It just just the numbers. If zeros at the end of all your accounts, different bank accounts, you've, you've got a hell of a lot more margin to be reckless because you've got a lot more money. So that's 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 essentially the only you need to know about steroids is you know the margin of what is and what isn't overtraining and what is and what is protein and what it is it is potentially getting fat those margins get so much bigger that you have a lot more room to make errors or or you know, not necessarily make errors but your, your margin of error 
you're not making errors. Regardless of how much you train or how much or how little you eat, you're still getting that sweet spot, the sweet spot's the size of a barn door. Okay. Re regarding, regarding the stress of... Uh um, and Andreas, I, I know you you worked also with uh, professional uh, people in fitness and bodybuilding. Is it the same yeah. stress? Because when we were, uh, when we were um, on AAS, basically, what is the, 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 the stress reflex we, we were getting into? I think, it, I mean, fundamentally, it's all the same at the end of the day. Right. I just think people, people, you know, you can't, you can't define the laws. Of what it is, you know what I'm saying. But uh, I think people on a different level, um, you know, see things on a diff from a different telescope. Uh, people that don't understand these fundamentals of what Project is is talking about, won't understand how all these things are, are happening. Um, when you add pharmacology into the mix, and I think Project said this a lot of times, you can make a lot more mistakes, and you can do everything better, faster, stronger. And, and, and just better with, uh, with, you know, with the least minimal effort as well. Consider um, this, Andre, you'll really like this, I think, because I know you really latched on to the whole suntan idea. Imagine this. If you have somebody of Irish descent, you know, they're, they're powder pale and, you know, green hair, uh, green eyes, red, and then you have Andre, who's of Mediterranean descent. The concept of getting the suntan is exactly the same. You go out in the sun for a period of time, you come in, you get the stress reflex, and so forth. However, it's hard to understand that the powder white pale guy is going to get his sun much quicker. Yeah. Not respond quickly. Whereas somebody of yeah, yeah, so you mean, are you talking, are you, are you talking also about the genome? The genetics? Andrea, I think, I think you're somewhere between Sorry, can you, can you hear me? I'm just getting a bit of a... Can you hear me? I just got a bit disconnected. Okay, okay, okay. Because I, I couldn't hear brother at all. Because I, okay. what he was saying, I think he was going down to more into genetics. Because it, it's not so much the matter of genetics; it's the concept of 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 of, of that kind of budget concept. If you are mm -hmm. super pale, if you're Irish or English or something like that, the amount of sun you can tolerate is very low because you have a very low starting point. You're very mm. pale. You're very susceptible to the sun. Whereas somebody like Hunter has a natural advantage. Okay? Mm. He's darker of skin, darker of hair. He can tolerate more sunlight right from the beginning uh -huh. and get a, or get a response. Okay. Yes, that's, we're talking about an actual genetic difference between the two. But now, think about the resting testosterone. If one guy's at the very bottom end of the and one guy's at the very top end of the Top end guy can tolerate more exercise and get a bigger, faster response from the exercise. It's no different than the. Now it's 
Okay. Uh, Andrea, I know you. I, I know you you want to go? Yeah, I just to broaden. I can stay another ten minutes. I just want to give a, a perfect analogy. You, you, and I've always used this with a lot of when I've um, given seminars and stuff. Perfect analogy. You take you take a beauty pageant, right? You take two of them. You put one. You put both of them on stage. One with the makeup is the one with the pharmacology. The one without the makeup. No is the one of the fun. It's right. just a perfect energy of this. Features, you, you doesn't make them taller, doesn't yeah. give them big titties, but <laughs> it makes them hot. And you're like, wow, it's hot. Absolutely. So that, that, that is the biggest difference here. I mean, give you an example. I mean, I know Kevin have run very well. I've worked with him. Uh, and I've, I've, you know, we've spoken a lot of the times and he's just a genetic freak. He can do everything wrong and he will just grow it will get ripped. Absolutely. So the genetic factor does play a big, big role with a lot of these athletes. I mean, the, the top 10 Mr. Olympia, these guys are just genetic freaks. The guys that make it are just that genetic upper hand to everybody else. You, you've got to accept that. I mean, uh, and even with, that, with the Africans, I mean, if you, if, you, if you look at the African population, I mean, if you look at the upper bodies, I mean, here in South Africa, I mean, a lot of the Nigerians, a lot of the Angolans, the Congolese, they just have these, these, these crazy lines and muscle and bulges and it's just and you can just see it's just your legs it's, but you'll find none of them have legs you know what i'm saying but yeah. it's, it's just it's it's crazy genetics is and plays a big big role whether you like it or you don't it goes down to biology exactly yeah it does oh, it does you can't you can't use your parents rocker no 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 <laughs> well you know what the problem is? We're 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 going to uh, sign so much. Like I was talking to Broderick, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, and Andreas, we've talked to this you know many times about this. We read, I, I'm trying to read like three, four, uh, two, two, three papers every day, and I think I'm getting dumber and dumber every time I read a paper. Because back in the days, you you see physics back in the 60s and 70s, and I'm not sure if this guys knew what uh, macros were or what. Um, yeah. Um, you know how much protein they're going to put in, or and I always I always refer to uh, pumping iron. I know I might sound like a bro, but so many times we're talking about RPEs, or we're talking about deloads, or we're talking about how, how long we need to stay, or how many you know calories in, calories out. Again, I'm going to say that, but their physiques and their understanding of biology, if I can say that, if I, or if I can use that term. It's been shown on stage. You, you know, to that very point, uh, Tom Platts and I had a very similar conversation, and he was referring to, you know, Arnold and Zane and a lot of the people from that era. It's kind of, kind of just for him. And he, he, he Tom, science per se. What calories? The secret to getting leaner was eating less. The secret to getting more training results was largely protein, and they, they understood these big picture ideas. But even without understanding what they're like, science, if you understand that you got a large amount of rice and a large amount of rest and a small it's really it doesn't require you to be a scientist. It just requires you to get, which is a big problem right now, is 
So, so what, what you were talking uh, about, you said about Tom, what, what was, like, basically, he's a legend, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. there's nothing there to say, uh, and the things he done regarding not only physique, but strength, uh, and the mentality of his workouts, they were just crazy. Um, what was, do you think, his points and his understanding about what he, he did? You know, it's funny. Tom and I had a number of conversations, and his understanding was a very, very interesting evolution where his understanding was always somewhat behind his actions. I remember him saying, uh, you know, going into the end of his career, uh, the very late 80s and early 90s, he was actually trying to allow his legs to not be as big, trying to adjust his training so that his legs weren't so big, or at least as so overpoweringly, you know, comparable to his torso. And so what he did, interestingly, was go to less frequent workouts, bigger, harder workouts, but he only trained legs once every two weeks. And strangely, what he found was exactly the opposite of what he intended. What he found was that his legs grew more and got more out of proportion to the rest of his body. And that's, again, much later, you know, into the late 90s, he started to realize that was exactly the perfect example of stress reflex. What he really needed to do was actually train his legs more, in sense, overtrain them. Generate a stress, don't allow recovery. Generate a stress, don't allow recovery. And that would have worn away the size of his legs. Whereas what he was doing was creating a very large stress and then taking a very long period for compensation and supercompensation and then creating a very large stress. And so he was actually creating an environment to maximize hypertrophy. Now, Spot on. You know, for some specific reasons, you got to understand, he was already really big, really muscular. That's not a take-home for every, you know, Joe Average that thinks, oh, I only have to work out every two weeks and I'll get big. No, but if you're already big, that's a great way to get bigger, is by reducing your volume and elevating your intensity, and that's what Tom did. Um, much lower frequency. So, it's... Talking about Tom's cognizance of the science, it, it's probably the highest now that it's ever been because now he has this entire career to look back on and identify all these things that he did, some right, some wrong, but now he can process you know, the results of it. And that's the beauty of people like me and, and Andre and, and many others is we have a lens where we can see multiple people in that kind of condition that sort of elevation, so we can see 10 people making that same mistake, or 20 people making that same mistake, and we have a much bigger, broader understanding than just our own perspective of, oh, I squatted and now I'm poor, what does that mean? Whereas, if you see 100 people, you can kind of figure out what that means. Okay, Andrea, what's your take on, basically, I don't want to say again the, about, about the stress, but... You saw how uh, things were, and you referred to that, about the understanding of how it was back in the days, because you just told me you were, you're in 20 years and you worked with professional bodybuilders. 
were they so much into the science or they just ate, trained, um, and just were trying to find that spot to add a bit of, you know, stress? I think. Can, can you hear me? Yeah, um, yeah. I, yeah. Of, uh, I think what. I think what a lot of these guys and these these pro bodybuilders that uh, back in the back in those days were, what they were doing was actually, you know, they, they never knew the actual scientific principles. Some did, but science is actually catching up. Research is catching up. What they did yeah. only is only, only really surfacing now, and it's all actually it's all actually meeting together. So, like Roderick says, we're all viewing it from different lenses, but we're all actually getting to one. End point. Uh, the the thing that we all get into one end point. The difference is how we get to that end point. It's like uh, Mike Israel's way of his maximum recoverable volume and the the deloads and that. That's his method of the which I call it a zigzag zag up and down. Uh, I may not agree with his methods and stuff, but it doesn't mean that he's wrong. Uh, yeah. I've got a different approach, but at the end of the day, we all get into that end point. Uh, you know, when you add the pharmacology to the mix, it's a whole different scenario, and it's a dark, the game changes completely. But, but saying what the what the bros did then and was wrong, no. And what I've seen today, the research is actually catching up what they did 20 years, only is catching up to them now. So you know what I'm saying? I think that is the difference. A good analogy, if you want to see the way Arnold then used to train, and you actually brought it up, was pumping iron. That is the way I think everybody should be trained. None of this slow and this, if that's for you want hypertrophy, the whole power lifting and, and, and strength, I mean, that's where Broderick's ex, ex, uh, expert at. I'm not into the whole power movement. I'm in more physique, uh, physique development. So, so what would you for physique development, pumping iron is the perfect analogy of how a bodybuilder who wants to improve their physique should be trained. What is, though, what is catching up? What, what were they doing correctly? And what is science saying that these guys were doing correctly, tra training-wise? And then Roderick, I'm going to talk about the, the, the well. You know, you, you know, if you take two aspects, okay, you'll take Arnold, who was very high volume. Uh, he, he did a whole lot of repetitions, a whole lot of sets, and, and you'll take somebody like Mike Mensa and Dorian Yates. Perfect example. They they had different ways, different systems, but they were going to the end point. Didn't mean. Uh, that Arnold was doing high, high loads of volume and Mike Mensa was doing, at the end of the day, it still worked. The way it worked was different, different, uh, to different routes to the end part. Do you understand? I don't want to get into the deep science and explain every single thing. But just to give it a short example, basically anything can work. It's, it's, it's you know, it's how... The problem is everybody now is trying to quantify every single detail. Oh, I've got to do 15 reps, 12 sets, and i got to take a deload at five weeks, six weeks. That's... that's to me, that's that's not it's not understanding the biofeedback of the body. I think we we, we missed a lot of the qualitative elements, uh, you know, like the workload capacity, uh, recovery capacity, you know, uh, um, oxygen depth, all those things that your body is actually telling, which are far more important than okay, now it's the fourth week I've got to take a dealer. Those guys didn't do that back then. You understand? They were they knew when their body needed a break. They knew. I mean, give you an example, uh, Lee Haney. When he was ready to Olympia, eight weeks up, he was having breakfast uh, prior to, to, to the show, and he was actually saying, 
okay, I had egg whites, two muffins, bananas, and he felt like he needed more. He actually got in, he needed more, and he was eating more. And the guys look at him and say, my, my God, but Lee Haney's eating more, and he looks like it because he's listening to his body. He knows what his body needs. And I think that's another thing that we're missing in the industry. We're trying to science everything, and it's not just, see, science holds a, a huge, 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 um, uh, you know, platform, but it's not everything, you know? You said biofeedback, uh, and... Mm. You know, just tell me what's your context of biofeedback. And then um, I'll ask Broderick because I know he, he really enjoys that. Scott Abel, Scott Abel talks about this and, not, you know, he's been another one of my mentors yeah. for many years and I've, I've learned a lot from him as well. Biofeedback, you, you actually... You Science is catching up to Scott now. Well, whatever he's been saying over 20, 20 30 years, it's all catching up to, yeah, it's all, all surfacing now. No, reading, reading your energy within and out of the gym, your, your hunger levels, your sleep, uh, how you're feeling, uh, you know, your workload capacity, your recovery capacity, your oxygen debt, you know, all, all these things, you know, that, you, that, that, that just, you just can't quantify, you just can't put a number to Same with the, the calories and the macros, you know what I mean? Okay. And uh, that's, that's how Tom Platts and Arnold work, you know, they, they just knew their bodies. And I think, you know... Knowing your body is, uh, is, is, is far more important than being dictated from the outside in. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, true. But who does that? Because uh, at the end of the day, it's all about my fitness pal, right? Yeah, and Fitbits and all that. I mean, don't get me wrong, it, it, holds, a, it holds a starting point. They're all starting points to get you some. But I think you graduate out of those things. You have to graduate out of those things. Yeah, it's funny, you say, it's funny you say graduate because I'll tell you another funny Tom Platts-ism, uh, because he was, he was really good at having little models that he used as his explanation for things. And uh, when asked about his training style, he would often say something like this. He said, if you had no artistic ability per se, and you went down to the local art shop, they might sell you a paint-by-numbers kit. It's a, a, a canvas with basically the picture outline and little paint numbers to tell you what color paint to put where. And if you can fill in these little spaces and little shapes with the appropriate colors and make a passable image you created. So you do a paint by numbers every week for a number of weeks or a number of years and suddenly you start finding that I'm going to put a little feather on this and that makes me feel you're fucking painting you're painting you start by numbers and you follow the numbers you did exactly what the numbers said until you got enough understanding to your own thing give up the numbers per se but you take the numbers and then you add you you add some I like this better I like that better and next thing you know your paint by numbers becomes Painting art, and how and then slowly progress. And I want. He was doing that crazy shit. He was doing start. And also, he was a gene freak regarding like he, his physique and his mentality and the, 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 how he basically 
proceed in his training and every aspect of his nutrition, he was special. Yeah. 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 He was, he was a really emotional dude as well. He had a very strong emotional drive. He, 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 he did it a little different than most people, but it's because yeah. that's what he had to work with. That's, you know, that's who he was. True. Um, um, sorry to interrupt, but um, I'm going to have to love and leave you. Okay. Um, uh, sorry, I would I would, I would have loved to have gotten into more detail, and I love chatting to the both of you. Uh, Roderick, my mentor, and Rod, uh, Rocker, a brother of mine, and uh, I consider you both family. Uh, and I'll listen to the rest of this. Uh, I don't know what it says. I thank you for including me in this, and I uh, hope we can catch up again soon. We will, we will. Thank you, my brother. Have a, good have a good evening, guys. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Um... We talked with Andreas about it, and he's like, oh, I'll count me in. Uh, um, he, he basically has helped me a lot understanding uh, basic aspects, because literally we're talking about it yesterday, because uh, I, I had a, a client uh, who was telling me about, look, I'm doing the correct things. My calories are these. You know, I should be losing weight, and uh, she wasn't. And I tried to explain the mechanism. It's like, no, 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 you're wrong because it's all about calories in, calories out. So that's why I'm a bit stressed because she threw me a couple. I don't want to say the names because there are gurus out there about oh, yeah. uh, the, you know, the aspect of the calories. So I literally, I'm like, you know what? I'm not getting into that. Um, you said something about the adaptations of, because you know what? Uh, I, I, I don't want to be that guy that doesn't say it, but we always talked about the, the, the road of uh, uh, adaptation we get with uh, steroids. Mm -hmm. And there are many, I don't want to say, uh, there are many categories. Mm -hmm. Can you just point out the, the categories, the, uh, the, um, the, the effects, the strategies? And when I say strategies, put it in context, it's like why using steroids? Well, see, before even talking about steroids, I would talk about using period, whatever it is. Okay. Um, that's that's something that bodybuilders are particularly uh, guilty of. Is steroids don't cure everything. <laughs> they, they do some things really well. They do other things very poorly, and they do some things downright dreadfully. So it's a matter of the way I would suggest you approach drug use at large. And to some degree, not even just drugs, but use at large, I'll come back to that, is start at the top, you've got good training, you've got good nutrition, you have good lifestyle, and then based on that, you're going to have deficiencies. You're going to find that we're not recovering fast enough, or you're not strong enough, or your body weight is not good enough. Or there's going to be a deficiency with under, within that umbrella of you're doing pretty good on the basic shit, but there's still problems. Uh -huh. Okay, And those problems will depend on your genetic material, how well you're actually doing the things you think you're doing, and to some degree, outside influences beyond your control. Where you live, the weather, the, your economy, your budget, your income... Uh, stresses from work, stresses from your girlfriend, whether or not you have hepatitis and don't know it. There's all sorts of outside vectors that you might not be immediately aware of. They're impacting how these things 
turnout, the outcomes you get. Uh-huh. So, having said that, what I would do is get all that basic shit in place, generate some outcomes, and then look at what what is most relevant for me to address. Ooh, I'm not recovering fast enough. So, recovery, that's definitely a place where anabolic steroids would have impact. Now, having said that, of the pantheon of anabolic steroids, some are much more effective at recovery, some are much more effective at protein expression, some are much more effective at aggression. So not only is it now you know what kind of drug to use, a steroid, now you have a a general understanding of which drug within that category to choose. But let's say instead of recovery, it's something else. Let's say um, it's... You know, your body weight is insufficient. You're not. You're getting stronger. You're getting better. You're doing all your work. Right. Your body weight is going up very high. There's obviously steroids would do that. And you know, and for each body of steroids, there's certain ones that would do that better. But drugs like metformin that improve your insulin sensitivity, they might help you accrue body weight. Um, even, uh, even you know, even. Drug-like nutritional strategies could be fall under that category. We're you talking know. about uh, carb loading. Well, loading's a bad word. Yeah, but yeah, that's exas- why. Exacerbating your carbohydrate intake could do that. Even, even you know, I'm not a fan of it, but you know, short-chain fats, medium-chain triglycerides. There's a lot of things that can fall under the heading of ways to get heavier, ways to gain body weight. So when you talk about use. It's a lot of things. For instance, even, you know, again, I'm not a fan per se, but, you know, even under the heading of work capacity, I'm just, I'm having a hard time getting all this work done. Steroids do that, but so do mild amphetamine. So does uh, Provigil, Modafinil, Ritalin. There's a lot of things. So you have to think bigger and look at what do I need, what does that, then what's the best choice within that particular category? You know, for instance, an example I use all the time with people is um, everybody in the world has been sick, you know, and gotten an antibiotic from their doctor. Uh It's it's something everyone can relate to. Well, here's the rub. Every single antibiotic, it's actually a partial lie because now there's some really exotic ones, but by and large, every single antibiotic in the world is patterned after penicillin, and they all work exactly the same way. True. They inhibit bacterial reproduction, and allow your immune system to overcome the bacteria. That's, that's how they all work. Regardless of, yeah, there's gram-positive, yeah, there's gram-negative, but they all work exactly the same way. But even though they all work exactly the same way, through 200 years of organized science and, well, 100 associated with antibiotics, it's been discovered that this particular antibiotic works best on respiratory infections. This antibiotic works best on dental infections. This one on you know, blood infections, and so on and so on. Even though they work exactly the same, there's little fine differences that make them more or less applicable to that ailment. And that's why when you go to the doctor with bronchitis, he knows which one's most effective. Sure. The exact same concept applies to steroids. When you come to me with an, a problem with your performance, even though all steroids basically work exactly the same way, I can say, oh, this one best treats that condition. Also, to put to put that as you like what you said about drugs, is regarding the pathophysiology of each individual. 
what I would say, allergies, let's say. Absolutely. Sa same way is going to work with the drugs, with pharmacology regarding enhancement, recovery, growth. Absolutely. Whatever that, what cause we need or stress we need. Absolutely. And, and, you know, and again, the antibiotic is the perfect analogy is, unfortunately, there's a random un unfortunate sod that has an adverse reaction to amoxicillin or whatever. It's unusual, but it is real. And the same thing applies. 99% of the people can take, you know, dietable with no consequences. With there's the one unfortunate guy that it's a real problem. You know, that's just the nature of genetic diversity, individuality, and pharmacology. It's not wrong, it's just something to be aware of. Great analogy, and uh, you're uh, the master of analogies, because uh, the, the thing we said before is really important, and Andrea said that, that it should be played everywhere. We've got people that literally go into that pharmacology wagon without, first of all, understanding, again, the biology of them, but also, would, why would you use pharmacology when you haven't exceeded your training, your nutrition, and basically uh, different aspects of the stress reflex we said before. It could be a deload, it could be a superset, it could be a drop set. You know, just adding more stresses to the body, see how the body's gonna adapt. Of course, you're not gonna gain 12 kilos of mass, of lean mass in a year, especially if you're highly trained, but if we want to put categories, because, you know, let's not talk about, let's say we've got a well-trained person, you know, he's done whatever, he, like four years of training, nutrition, everything, and now he's like trying to bring something to another level. I read a couple of researchers saying people have lower testosterone mm -hmm. as the years go by, but people are overusing um, testosterone in many, many ways. Um, and what's the difference between an adrogenic drug, a steroid, charm, a peptide? Because there's so misinterpretation out there. People mm -hmm. saying, "Oh, steroids are steroids; everything's the same." Oh, it's not not even similar. Not not even similar. Um, that unfortunately is almost a, a conversation for the biochemistry class, but um. Let's see, how would I how would I even well first probably just some basic nomenclature. Um, testosterone is not an anabolic steroid. Most people don't even understand something as fundamental as that. Testosterone is kind of the parent at the top of this chart you want to make. And then under that chart, there's two natural derivatives. Actually there's three but we'll, we'll say two natural derivatives of testosterone, and that's 19-nor-testosterone and DHT. Also, off from another, come almost another angle entirely, from testosterone you also get estradiol and all of the consequences of that. But that's kind of almost a different chart, a different subject. Um, you know, all your progesterone, pregnenolone, all that stuff come off on an oblique angle over there. But right here in the family of steroids, you've got... Testosterone, DHT, and 19-nor-testosterone happen naturally. Then anything manufactured after that is, keyword, manufactured by humans in labs or synthetic derivatives thereof 
Those are defined as anabolic androgenic steroids. Dianabol, Masteron, Primabol, and all that stuff, they are synthetically derived from either testosterone or one of those derivatives, natural derivatives. So that's kind of the language of what it is. Most people don't even realize that testosterone is not an anabolic steroid. It's not. It's an androgen. Um, oh, oh, what do you mean an androgen? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and actually, I'll take a second to explain that, although this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is a really simplification. But what was done in the uh, 1950s is what testosterone was isolated in the, in the 30s, actually the 20s, and then put on the market in the 30s, and then synthetic derivatives were figured out thereafter. It became necessary to index them one against another. So what they did is they took rats, and they had a number of populations. They had populations that they did nothing to. They had a population that they made walk on a treadmill, and then they had a population that they would give testosterone to, make walk on a treadmill, and then a population that they would give new synthetic drug to make walk on a treadmill. They would kill them all, euthanize them all, and measure the rats don't actually have a prostate, but they have an organ much like a prostate called a seminal vesicle. So, yeah. uh, they would measure the seminal vesicle and the Levator ani muscle, which, if you don't know rat anatomy, is basically a calf on a rat. And they would weigh those, and in the did nothing to the population, they would call that eight. So they would get a ratio of, on average, the prostates are this big, and on average, the calves are this big. So they would call that the anabolic calf to androgenic prostate ratio. And they would say, okay, that normal is one-to-one. That's, you know, this size prostate is one, this size calf is one, that's normal. And then they would look at the testosterone rats, and they would do the same thing. And they would find, oh, the prostate grew a little bit, and the calf grew maybe more than a little bit. And they would say that's a, a ratio of one to one. So you've got a normal ratio, you've got a testosterone ratio. Then they would do the same thing with new drug. And they found that some of the less androgenic drugs generated less hypertrophy of the prostate, more hypertrophy of the calf. So that had a superior anabolic to androgenic ratio. Not all drugs are that way. Some were actually exactly the opposite. They created greater hypertrophies of the prostate than of the calf relative to the baseline. So that's how people don't realize this. Even if something's highly androgenic, it can still be highly anabolic. It's a relative to the baseline. It's not relative to nature. So it's, it's a very complicated subject. And that's why I wanted to ask you, because sometimes when I talk to people about that is, first of all, you need to see, to check what androgenic effect you want. Absolutely. What anabolic effect you want. And then we start building it from there. And they're like, Absolutely. no, no, it's exactly the same thing. I'm like... Mm -hmm. Not even similar. Not even similar. Um, they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're not even remotely similar. Um, for instance, when they treat you know, hypogonadal children, um, they're not really looking for anabolic effects. They don't really care that the children get overly muscular. They want them to get masculinized. So they actually apply androgens to these children to get them to grow hair, change their facial features, you know, to have all the necessary sexual development. It's not about making their muscles grow. You can, you know, you can have the physiology of a 10-year-old girl and still have big muscles. Sure. That doesn't make you an effective male. 
So again, to, to, to think that they're one and the same or it's not important to separate them is, is foolish. Now in the same breath, there are people that believe they're almost exclusive to one another and that's also foolish. You can't have, like in the case of SARMs, people believe that they're just they're 100% anabolic. No, they're not. Nothing is. That's just foolish. The percentage is very skewed for sure, but they can't be exclusively one or the other because the very the very mechanisms that make the effect are intertwined. What would you say about charms then? Um, everybody's saying, "Oh, we've got the intellectuality of new, which they're not new, uh, no, um, uh, ways of getting." No side effects, and that's also a question I want to add at the end. Well, there's no such thing as no side effects. That's just foolish. Exactly. You, it, you don't you don't understand basic stress reflex. There's a side effect to drinking fucking water. Water. If exactly. you have drinking, you have to go pee. That's a side effect. There's no such thing as no side effects. So put that out of your mind. And exactly what you said. They're not new. Um, for instance, it's not a SARM, but it's a SERM, a selective estrogen receptor modulator, known as tamoxifen, which goes back to the 1940s, I believe. Yep. It's not even remotely new. So the concept of non-steroidal modulation of androgen and or estrogen receptors is not new by any stretch. Um, to some degree, uh, the, the drug called butyrol does that. So it's not new even, even a little bit. Here's my big summation of the subject. I think it's an incredibly important subject. I think it has an enormous amount of future and potential, and I sincerely believe that that future is not here yet, and people should shut the fuck up about the whole subject. I really don't think that the SARMs we have are, I think they're completely valid for research to make better ones for the future, but I don't think they're the things that athletes should be taking now. I just don't think, with some very specific examples and exceptions, maybe women, maybe certain aspects, maybe, but in general, I think it's a great idea that just hasn't reached fruition yet, and it, you know, we need to put time and money into it and stop you know, doing avant-garde unnecessary research on ourselves. True. Um, it's really important what you said before about the androgenic effect and uh, the anabolic effect of drugs. And what would you say about the difference in nitrogen balance in either? Um, you mean within within the realm of steroid cells? Exactly. Um. Well, I mean, it's it's like everything else. It's a sliding scale. You have drugs on one end, like provorin, that are measurably more androgenic than anabolic, although they are anabolic. And then you've got drugs all the way on the other side of the spectrum, like primobolin, which is almost exclusively anabolic, with very, very little androgenic effects. And each one of them brings its own benefits and deficiencies. For instance, if you're trying to build muscle, provorins are probably not the best choice per milligram. But if you're trying to build aggression and some of the motor skills and things that come with athleticism, you might want that high androgen impact. Because androgens largely, remember, they're the things that turn children into adults. Uh -huh. That's a large amount of what's called, in biology, remodeling. You're taking this blank template and you're modeling it into this refined, you know, 
highly coordinated, highly skilled creature that is an adult. You know, kids are uncoordinated and goofy, and you know, and then they become the articulate, refined thing that is the adult. So androgens obviously have an impact on that development. So if you're trying to acquire skills, you're trying to hone abilities, those sorts of things, that's probably an androgen environment. If you're just trying to build muscle, that's an anabolic environment. And then there's that whole sliding scale in the middle. Would you, would you, uh, while you, let's say while you're pl planning a cycle where you're into a cycle and you, people don't mind about, oh, sorry, they start to mind about the, I hate the word, but I'm going to use it because everybody's using it, so we have to, about the side effects, which is not a side effect because it's a, basically a cascade of when you're into that loophole, meaning estradiol, progesterone, uh, aromatizing uh, factors which people don't understand the benefits, but they started to use, oh, we want a less androgenic drug to gain more androgenic effects. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I do. And th then they go into a post-cycle therapy to basically swap everything out. And then, they, in my understanding, is basically why are you doing what you're doing? Yeah, you know, I feel that way about almost everyone's approach to drug use. Is, well, just why are you doing that? What is the purpose? Um, you know, for instance, you know, people will take a thousand milligrams of testosterone and then they need an aromatase enzyme inhibitor and tamoxifen to, you know, blunt the effects that are already present from estrogen. And then they get, you know, progesterone impacts and all these different things. And they wind up taking four drugs just to support their ability to take the one drug, which is testosterone where they could take a little bit of testosterone, like a TRT-type dose, and then the difference of that 1,000 milligrams could be, you know, a name your choice, mastron, primobolin, uh, stenozolol, et cetera, and they would essentially have none of those consequences, need none of those ancillary-adjacent drugs, get more animalism for less side effects. The only problem is might be a little more expensive, might be a little more difficult to source, but from an effectiveness and certainly from an efficiency point of view, infinitely superior. What would be your, uh, your non-brainer approach to how you basically structure uh, a path? Because basically, first of all, what I say always is if you're going to go to that loophole or if you're going to go to not loophole, if you're going to take that path, You need to find a person that understands biology. Because if you don't, Absolutely. don't even take Tylenol. You know what I mean? Just because yeah, people don't get it, and that's a big thing that I, I want you to, 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 you know, to go into depth. When when you take a uh, let's a pill, uh, aspirin, it comes up with a huge paper like a like a huge book with all the side effects, but people are naming you know the pharmacol the drugs, the steroids. Oh, this is you know. I'm trying to find it with the least side effects. And I'm like, what exactly do you mean? Well, the problem there is, and, and I point this out to people all the time, even medical doctors, and they all look at me, you know, kind of with this just puzzled look, kind of like uh, when you show a magic trick to a dog. They just kind of cock their head and your ear goes up. Um, and that is most of what people prize in terms of sports drugs are actually the side effects. 
most of the things people are actually measuring the value of is, you know, you stop and think about the things that people prize. Elevations in body weight, elevations in proximal strength, uh, sexual function. Oh, my sex drive doubled. It must be working great. I've had an erection for three days. That's a side effect. The, the effect, the attended, intended effect is the acceleration of the manufacture of contractile proteins building muscle. That's something you can't even measure on a day-to-day, hour-to-hour basis. Even if you're growing like a weed, you can't find that on a scale for two weeks. So this, most of what people are measuring, oh, I, I, I'm aggressive, I feel, I'm killing it at the gym. That's a side effect. That's not even an effect. So it's really hard to even have that conversation because, like I said, most people are measuring side effects and not actual effects. What would be the, uh, okay, what would be the effect? The effect is simply achieving the ends in which you set out. With bodybuilding, most of the time, it's simply the accumulation of more muscle mass, the acceleration of protein synthesis, okay? And like I said, even if you're growing like a weed, stop and think about this. Say you gain... I don't know, 12 kilos in a year, which is a staggering amount of, of retention. That's one kilo a month. Divide that by 30. That's a very small amount per day. You yeah. aren't going to notice that. You're not noticing that a 30th of a kilo. No. It's, that's a couple, it's 100, what's that, 100 grams? That's not, you're not going to notice that. It's not even 100 grams. You know, you know it's like, that's nothing on the day level. So that's what I mean is the actual effects. Now, when you get into sports, the actual effects get a little broader because your effects might be enhanced uh, you know, cognitive function, neuromuscular coordination, um, you know, neuroinduction, uh, stuff like that, even flexibility. Those are things you might be able to measure more proximally. But you know, in, in the context of bodybuilding, most of what you're trying to do is grow more muscle. And that's a very long, slow, almost unnoticed thing. And so now you're taking, you're starting to do a, a cycle now. You're going to take the, the results tomorrow. Because um, everybody basically is going mental about, oh, well, uh, I'm going to not train. I'm not, I'm not going to eat everything I want because I saw a guy that's on steroids on Instagram and he's eating pizzas and ice cream and this every day, whatever. So that's why I want to do it. Um, what up? would you play around while you uh, with uh, uh, basically the same protocol training wise when you're using uh, with the pharmacology? Would you do exactly the same stretch reflexes regarding nutrition? Well, what changes? Well, see, it's a matter of you know. It's funny the way you worded that. You know, what changes? Again, going back to what I said earlier, what changes is margin. It's not nothing changes as you, you start to lift weights and you start to wait for a response and all the things that normally would happen. But just like if suddenly somebody snapped their fingers and made your skin much darker than it already is, what changes? Well, what changes is the amount of time you can spend in the sun. So if I magically snap my fingers and change your hormone levels, what changes? The amount of time you can spend in the gym and 
how quickly you recover from right. that amount of time so that you could do it again. So would the same workout generate results? Of course. Would it generate as much results as, you know, if you're pale and you get darker, you need, you know, need, but more sun is tolerable and therefore results move faster when you tan more. So as the drug dosage goes up, theoretically, so should your training volume. And then that means so should your calorie volume. And so should your and so should your and everything else. So basically, it means you need a lot more of everything, not necessarily to get results, but to get the most results possible under those conditions. Okay, you've been into professionally. Um, I don't want to say coaching, but mentoring people um, into uh, the pharmacology aspect. Mm-hmm. What what have you gained from? This 30 years of frustration. <laughs> frustration. Or just frustration. Um, actually, I, I actually do have an answer for you. I've, ga- I've garnered two things. One, um, exactly what I just said is that most people prize side effects way more than effects. Uh, and that's across the board from sexual function to body weight to water retention to all the things, aggression. They, they, they prize that stuff measurably more than actual effects. The perfect drug is the one you don't notice is working other than the fact that you reach your goals. That's the perfect scenario. Um, and then the other major thing I've noticed is um, as drugs become more and more uh, commonplace sports drugs and less and less niche to just athletes, you know, in the 1970s, all bodybuilders use drugs, just like they do today. But no average fitness people use drugs. Now you've got every CrossFit idiot and people you know doing backyard marathons and shit, and they're, they're, they're using drugs. So as the pool of drug users expands, um, the, uh, the stigma gets lower and lower, which on one hand is good because now bodybuilders don't look like the crazy you know, outliers that they once were. But unfortunately, the other problem that generates is um, the uh, <laughs> kind of the, the baseline dosage has gone crazy. You, you know what I mean? It's now like... That's where if, I wanted to go, exactly. If, if the Joe Average CrossFitter is taking 500 milligrams a week, well now, to be a bodybuilder, you got to take 5,000 milligrams a week. And it's just kind of escalated everything out of control. It's kind of like raising the minimum wage. You know, if you raise the minimum wage so that the the shittiest worker inflation makes <laughs> you know, that means that you know the the doctors now have to get a thousand dollars an hour. And that's kind of what's happened with drug use. Is you've got these shitty unathletic people taking substantial dosages. Now, to be a bodybuilder, you have to take these ridiculous dosages. And, and that's unfortunate. It is, plus you don't know what you're getting anymore. I agree. Um, well, that's a whole separate subject. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm basing my argument just on the fact that yeah. drugs are actually real. Yeah, but then, then that yeah. spiral on a different rabbit it hole. Play, sure. It plays a role exactly the same thing because, you know, everybody's getting it. So, you know, everybody wants to get into that business. Um, you said big dosages and, you know, a friend of mine uh, uh, sent me a question because he uh, – he knew I'm um, going to have the interview. He's like, 
So I explained, but he's like, he, he says, no, brother knows better, and of course you know better, about the big guts we see, and there's big and big myth around that, that because people are, uh, you know, are getting uh, all this uh, dosages, they're getting big. I know you're getting angry now, but we have to answer this question. Um, I don't... <laughs> I'll start here. Everyone wants to blame it on growth hormone and insulin. I absolutely, positively do not believe that is the cause. I think that is um, relevant, a relevant influencer, but I do not believe that is the cause. Uh, again, I'm going to point out something that I point out a hundred million times and people are tired of hearing it, but I am a biologist. And because of that, I look at things differently. Largely, I look at a much bigger spectrum. Most athletic coaches only look at athletics. They never think outside of athletics. What would happen to regular people or what would normal populations do or what does they, they, they only look at, you know, and sometimes it's even more specific than that. Not only are they an athletic coach, but they coach a specific position within athletics. And they only, you know, they're just, oh, I'm a lineman coach. They don't even think about the other side of the field or the other side of the ball. They're just this. I'm exactly the opposite. I think about the entire team and how the team interacts with the town and how the town interacts with the city and so on and so on. So it's a much bigger picture. Now, sometimes that limits me because I don't have as much specific detail. I admit that. But I have the other side of the coin is I have much broader detail. True. Okay. So that going with this is bodybuilders are not the only people. As a matter of fact, they're the minority of people that suffer from that similar malady. If you look at human populations, you see thin, lean limbs and distended midsections in a number of different populations. For instance, diabetics, HIV patients, and alcoholics. Which it has to do with a lot with the basic uh, nerve uh, uh, I, I was reading an article saying about you can see that happening a lot since uh, the 90s. It started about the vagus nerve and how it deactivates because of all the alcohol. I don't know if you read the... Absolutely. And, and that's just one of the many reasons for that. You also have fatty liver development. You also have visceral water retention. You have a lot of things. But the bottom line is you've got a very similar morphology a distension of the midsection without the additional accumulation of body fat. You also see it in HIV patients, on and on and on. You also see it in cancer patients. And what do all these things have in common? Two things. A very high, keyword, drug load. Alcohol is a drug. You have a very large saturation of drug per body weight. Same thing in HIV patients. Same thing in cancer patients. Okay, you got a lot of drugs on a, a relatively fixed body weight, and secondly, you've got a disruption of pancreatic slash liver function. You're basically putting these people into, you know, peripancreatitis. True. Pancreas is one of the major organs that deals with drug volume. So basically what I'm saying is I think that the large amount of you know, distension is not a drug specifically. It's exposure in total. Two drugs seems to do that to humans. 
You know, think about your, you know, think about everybody's drunken uncle with the big, you know, the big round beer belly. He hasn't taken steroid one. He hasn't taken growth hormone one. Why does he look like that? It's a saturation of drugs on his physiology. It's exactly the same thing. True. And, uh, and thank you for that because, uh, um, I, I <clears throat> you know, when you have people in your family, you know, friends that drink and you see that that's been happening, you know, limbs, big bellies, and this happening, you know, you're trying to do the correlation between all these uh, pathophysiologies and people don't get it. They always need to blame, you know, something. Uh, Absolutely. And for now, um, it, st steroids is the stigma. Yes, everybody's on it, basically. Uh, I love Baker's documentary, but still people are not uh, the one to accept it. So I know you're a busy man. I'm, I'm just going to ask in 10, basically, if you, if you could structure in a pyramid, how would you uh, structure, I'm not going to say a safe way, but how would, would you structure a pharmacology into a training module? How would um, you start? Absolutely, I could do that. It's something I pretty much do with my clients every day. Um, what I would start with is... Exactly what I said. Get training, nutrition, you know, lifestyle in order and find the deficiencies. What is it you need from your drug use? And I would literally make an outline and I would start that outline with most important thing. We need an elevated body weight. And then the next most important thing might be some recovery. And last most important thing might be, eh, the guy's a bit of a douche, he needs a little bit of aggression. So I would put these things in a numerical order. As to, this is our wish list. This is what we're trying to accomplish. The next thing that would do is take their body weight and multiply that by the relevant coefficient to their uh, advancement. If they've never used drugs before, I'd say that's probably five or six milligrams per kilogram weekly. If they have used drugs, I'd say it's a little higher than that. If they're you know a national competitor, it's probably more like, 15 milligrams per kilogram, but I would, you know, I would scale that based on who they are relative to their advancement, and I would generate a total dosage. So, subject X weighs 100 kilograms. He's a raw beginner. He's probably only going to need 600 milligrams total. So I put that on the page. I got 600 milligrams to work with. Anytime you take exogenous hormones, your body is going to reduce the amount it makes endogenously. Your production will downregulate. So we'll put. 200 milligrams of testosterone in there as PRT. That's just replacing what their body's not making anymore. So 600, we're going to take 200 off of the testosterone. That leaves us 400 milligrams. So I would make a timeline and say, all right, we're going to do drugs for 16 weeks, 200 milligrams of testosterone every week, and then we're going to escalate from that 200 up to a total of maybe six, maybe even we'll get exaggerated and go to 700 milligrams, and then a small taper at the end. So now I know what the dose curve is going to look like. I reflect on what they need, and I would choose the drugs necessary to fill that gap. Okay, they need a body weight, so that's going to be Dianabol. That's a great drug to accumulate body weight. So 200 milligrams of testosterone, they're going to go 10 milligrams a week of Dianabol, 20 milligrams a week, 30 milligrams a week, and escalate towards something, you know, a number probably not exceed maybe 50 milligrams a day. That's 350 milligrams plus the 200 of testosterone. Well, we're at 550 total weekly milligrams. About halfway through those total 
you know, 14, 16 weeks, I would transition from the Diana ball over to something, let's say, Bolden, great choice. Um, a little less water retention, a little less secondary influences. So that'll help them, you know, improve their strength and performance a little bit. And that's basically how it would look. Calculate what you need, your total milligrammage you're allowed, and then the best choices you can choose to reach those goals. And that's about it. Um, obviously, there's some thought to secondary drugs, possibly estrogen management, possibly this, possibly that. What I will say is if you really do your job properly, you don't need any of that or, if any, not much. And that's why I always say if you need a professional like yourself to be there to minimize Agreed. minimize all the, the gaps. Uh, Basically, we can create lots of problems because it's not... You know, guys would try this at home kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Nutrition-wise? Um, Just as like... As I... Adapting it to drug use. The biggest thing there, you know, largely protein and fat stay about the same, only because even if you're growing really fast, you're not growing, you know, an extra arm or something. You're not growing a, 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 another head. Um... Largely, the big thing that becomes deficient is total calorie volume to power all the new activity and all the new growth, per se. So, largely there, it's just an escalation of carbohydrates to meet the new calorie demand. Um, as far as any clever, specific, anabolic nutrition, there, there isn't any. There just isn't. Thank you for that. Yeah. Because people are trying to find that magic, uh, 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 no. you know, sauce. That's gonna do yeah, it does not exist. I always say train your ass off, you know, put the put the nutrition in place and if you're if they're you know in pharmacology, just try to yeah. find you basically and uh, you know, you're gonna get what you wanna be. So Agreed. what what's new with uh, Team Evil GP? What's what's happening? Um probably the only real big news, I mean I'm busy, I'm doing my thing, uh, my thing usually is pretty quiet. But uh, probably the big news is um, April of 2018, I will be live and in person in the continent of Australia. Whoa. I'm pretty excited. Yeah, I will be in Australia. Uh, at the moment, I have dates in both Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, probably going to be some additional ones on top of that. So that's really the new big exciting thing in my world. That's amazing. Uh, a little scary. I've never uh, never traveled that far. So it's a, it's a new thing, but... Um, they certainly seem excited and primed for my arrival, and uh, I'm going to do everything I can to give them my money's worth, you know, their money's worth, and earn my money. So I, I think it's going to be, think it's going to be good. That's awesome. Um, what are you going to cover? You got a plan? Um, and the plan is developing, but I only have the the, uh, the the skills and what have you that I have. True. So it's almost certainly going to be, you know, big Victor biology, pharmacology, and the integration thereof. Um, you know, there may be some specific points that people want to cover, but in general, that's what I know and that's what I do. And I really won't talk about much else because I don't have much else. True. Is it something we're going to be able to have you, let's say, in the UK, in other countries, something you're uh, it's building up? Um, I'm completely open to negotiation for, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a trained monkey. You throw a couple nickels in my hat and I'll dance. <laughs> um, so I... <laughs> I'm I'm completely open to that. Um, I think it's a uh, I think this Australia trip will probably open a lot of those doors and maybe get people excited for 
you know, I'm not the standard fare. You know, I'm not the Mike Isretel, you know, Scott Abel. I have a, a much different flair. Um, I'm not going to say my information is any better or worse, but my delivery is much different. Sure. So I think I think people will find uh, they either love it or hate it. And hopefully enough will love it to, to, to get me some other opportunities. And also, while we're doing together, you're doing it, I think, with uh, uh, other people, which I know, um, is the one-to-one appointments that yes. people can, uh, you, you mentor people, uh, depending on their goal, or are people like they're basically professionals and they want to engage more, and they want to learn more, right? Stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're doing a lot more of that, uh, especially with people in, uh, in in your corner of the world, a lot of people in the UK and uh, Central Europe, a lot of, uh, you know, people coming to me with, that they have a body of clients that they manage and they need, you know, they, they, they found issues that they're personally not comfortable manipulating they kind of you know filter them through me uh, a lot of that sort of thing so i i, I enjoy that sort of stuff and i like solving problems I like figuring things out as a manager advisor as i always say <laughs> and they and they can find your uh team evil G, uh, gsp basically i'm going to just put the i'm going to put the website uh uh, the link, uh, Facebook, and Instagram, with, which basically you do the 600 pounds and you get me angry every time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Rick, thank you so much for your time. Of course. Um, hopefully I'll see you next week for our one-to-one -one, uh, mentoring. Um, I'm so excited about the plans in Australia. I'm gonna, uh, that's, that's huge. And hopefully I might try to have you in the UK, Greece, and see where else. Maybe Andreas was talking about South Africa. Yeah, I, I've actually spoken tentatively about the idea of South Africa. I would love to go down there. Uh, it's actually on my wish list, so uh, I'm, I'm going to push for that one. That's cool. Uh, have a great day, sir, and uh, see you soon. Thank you. Thank you.